This podcast is part of the No Phony Podcast Network, the home of independent awesomeness. Did the 1980s provide the best hits from the most movie soundtracks? In other words, were they the best around? But, you know, better than that. Once again, it's time for the 80s. objective defense of the 80s from a couple of idiots <laughs> welcome back to another episode of the idiots an objective defense of 1980s pop culture from a couple of idiots my name is will and joining me as always is my friend and co-captain ray what's up dude <laughs> Uh, you know, day's moving right along now. We're into the good part of the day where it's dark out. I like how you That's see this is day. It's, things start happening. Uh, for me, it's like it's creeping closer to midnight. Mm-hmm. This is your day. This is when you start. Okay, very good. This is this when it gets good. Well, hey, everybody. Uh, welcome to another episode. We are currently on Facebook Live recording some segments of the show for an uh, upcoming episode. Monday's episode, really, I suppose. It's really soon. So, hey, a little bit later on the show today, we're going to be talking about the greatest songs from the greatest movies of all times in the 1980s and some other interesting things around those. Um, what else? Hey, if you're listening to the show, well, not, not if, you're listening to the show on something, right? So like it, subscribe to it, rate it, review it, follow it, whatever you can do helps other people find us. Go to the Facebook page, follow us there, meet a bunch of other idiots just like us who like to talk about this uh, pop culture. Um, what else? Um, in a, hey, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be speaking with Ms. Taylor Dane. We can say that. And um, maybe I should just say, watch the Facebook Live if you want to hear me go on <laughs> at length about how the interview went. In short, I wish it went a different way. It was great. But I realize I was out to impress her, I think. And <laughs> it became that thing of trying to impress a girl in high school and Failing miserably, which I'm sure I did many times with women of her league. Hmm. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> right? I got no other explanation. <laughs> <laughs> but we want to tell you, most importantly, this Wednesday, did we say it was Wednesday? Wednesday, July 1st, uh, we are going to be eligible to be nominated for, to be a podcast of the year, uh, for the Podcaster of the Year Awards, but we need your vote to get nominated. We need your nomination to be considered by the judges. It's something like that. So just keep an eye out for that uh, on Facebook. So please, if you're not on Facebook, go to Facebook, because that's how we're going to let everybody know, and we need your help, because that would be amazing for our barely-year-old podcast to win a podcast uh, of the a year podcast award. Podcast of the Year Award. That sounds like a thing. Yeah. I didn't just make that up. <laughs> is that our other what? show notes? No, I just wanted to point out, oh, yeah. I got this cool new thing. It's called a selfie ring light that Will dropped off at oh, my boy. house. Yeah, boy. Yeah, we're trying that out tonight. Hey, do you have it on right now? Check it out. Yeah, I got it on right now. Let's see. Well, I can see you because huh? oftentimes you yeah. are plunged in shadow. I try to stay in the shadows, but this thing says, uh, even in low light, yeah. always shooting freely. <laughs> what? So I got that going for me, which is nice. Even in low light, shooting freely? What <laughs> That's that? what it says. Isn't there a picture of like an anime girl on the cover of that too? Or something? Yeah. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. That's right and, up uh, your alley. Uh, and also, I got this from Will today. Oh, yeah. That is Lee Ving's signature on the front of that baby right there. You know, and we know you love neighbors. 
And I super appreciate that because that is awesome. I don't know if we got to talk to Lee about that story about how he wrote this song, but it never got in the movie. I know we talked to him about him and John Belushi. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, he wrote a song and uh, then it wasn't in the movie. So to make up for it, John had him uh, come on Saturday Night Live and perform. And that's a whole other legendary story you should check out. Uh, we talked to Lee about it at length on a prior episode. Um, okay, so hey, let's talk about 80s news. All right, Ray. So, you know, we've been talking about this on and off now for a couple of weeks, and we just got another update. Stop. Bill and <laughs> Which Ted. Which update is this? Oh, the, Bill and Ted. Bill and Ted release yeah. date has now been moved back two more weeks. So we were so excited that it got moved up, even though it seemed really ambitious considering the state of the world. But Christopher Nolan's tenant that we talked about is this bellwether, this canary in the coal mine. The movie industry is looking at it to determine can we survive during the pandemic by releasing films in the theaters? Well, Christopher Nolan moved his film back to August 12th, the weekend that Bill and Ted was going to open. And so Bill and Ted said, imagine the discussion was, we don't want to compete with that because that's expected to be the, if any movie will strike big this summer, it will be that one, I believe. I think it's Bill and Ted, but. Yeah, I do too. So Bill and Ted is now not going to come out till August 28th. It's a, it's a, it's a clever ruse, Will. A clever ruse. They're going to bring it out the week before the other one. Mm. It's all just the, it's the, the game, the rigmarole. I see. Maybe it's a... So, so get ready for the next update. A sleight of hand. Maybe mm-hmm. like... And, and then you know what they do? Some kind of advertising campaign where they <laughs> traveled back yeah. two weeks earlier They, they do have time. a time machine. There you go. Yeah. All right, sure. So currently there's... Uh, and this comes from Variety.com. Currently there's uh, just over 1,000 U.S. theaters open, including 284 drive-ins. Um, Texas has 66, uh, Ohio 38 is the second most. Texas, as we just found out, this isn't a political show. This isn't even a news hey, show. Stop it. But this is stop fact it. and it's affecting our lives. Texas, as you, I'm sure you read in the news today, is now shutting some things down because the numbers are going up and they were, everything was open. I could, so I could argue this down. with you, but I don't do politics. This is so. a fact. I'm Move just on. telling you facts. This is a fact. It, not facts. Those are not facts, my so friend. The governor today said, not I can so fast. Read too. They shut some things down, uh, and, and so I don't. I don't think this number is even probably accurate anymore. So you know, fingers crossed, it'll be a miracle, and we'll be able to see Bill and Ted in a, it, it, come August. But um, right now, it's got pushed back well, at least two uh, weeks. Yep. At this point, I think uh, movie theaters should go rogue. Yeah. Just like I think concerts should go back underground in the VFW halls. See, I think it's time to start just showing movies. Look, this shouldn't be a political discussion, right? It's not. Because we're talking, talking about science. I'm talking about nah, science. Once again, I could argue with you all day long about this stuff because I watch videos and read stuff too. What, the pandemic? Is that what you're... Look, this is no, not... No, not the pandemic. Just like I'm, on Facebook, <laughs> I am unfollowing this conversation. I got unfollowed on Facebook by Will because I argue with him about this stuff. I just, I don't have the time. I don't have the time, right? Or the energy. And I Mm -hmm. like you too much to not like you on Facebook. All right. So, hey, let's talk about some more exciting movie news. Uh, Michael Keaton, the word is that Michael Keaton is in talks to return as Batman for at least one DC film. So uh, a few days ago, uh, on June 22nd, we got this information in Entertainment Weekly. There was these, uh, it was first reported by The Wrap um, that uh, Michael Keaton was set to return his reprise his role and, and don the cowl again. And then uh, shortly after that, um, and, and you know, I guess pause for a second. 
I was recalling, you know, so fo- so many folks are now clamoring and so excited about, this is great, you know, something to save the DC universe is to get Michael Keaton back. And I was recalling how folks probably don't remember that in 1988, when it was announced Michael Keaton was going to be Batman, there was an uproar. No! Beetlejuice? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, pe- people don't have no common sense. They really don't, because he's a great Batman. Yep. And I look forward to seeing him in the, the suit again. Yes, me too. And at the time, people were complaining, you know, we didn't have the internet. So instead, there was a, there were campaigns to get them to recast it, uh, including 50,000 letters being sent to Warner Brothers. There was a petition that was started by someone in Canada that got a number of signatures. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I remember a guy at the gas station bitching about it when I was getting <laughs> gas one day. This is in 1988? <laughs> yeah. You're filling up your, uh, with your Firebird or something, your Camaro? I see, 88. I would have had a 79 Chevy Monza. Mm. I don't even know what that is. Okay. It's a piece of shit car. That's what that is. So we've got some other news now. Here's another new twist. This comes to us from a, uh, a show called Sh- Sean Chandler Talks About, which I'd never heard of, but uh, someone named Griffin Schiller was a guest on there, and he says he has a source on the inside, he swears, knows the truth, and said that not only is, so Michael Keaton's uh, appearance is, is, is going to be, as Batman or Bruce Wayne, is going to be in the next, or the, the first Flash movie, the Flash movie, which, you know, they've been putting off for years. He'll play Bruce Wayne in that, and this is going to set up his return to being uh, Bruce Wayne again in a future film where he, they do a live-action Batman Beyond so Batman Beyond is an animated series from several years ago where a much older Bruce Wayne takes a younger person under his bat wing, so to speak, mm-hmm. and grooms him to be the next Batman. It's a pretty cool cartoon. And as I've always said, that should be Bruce Campbell and uh, Jason Mewes. Oh, yes. Even today, you're live action. sticking by that. I will stand by that for as long as that conversation comes up. I think those are the two guys that should do it. Jason Mewes, who's like, uh, I don't know, 45 years old, 49, 50. He can't play a young guy starting out to be a superhero. Yeah, he can. Because it's Bruce Campbell and it's him. I Mm. think that's the perfect combination. And I stand by that. And I don't care if it's done in 10 years from now and he's 50. He's Mm. still playing Robin. I can't support you on this. That's all right. This is more controversial than what you, the nonsense you were saying a few minutes ago. Uh, Whatever. So... What do you think? Are you willing to see? The, do we want more uh, Michael Keaton just beyond the Flash? Do we want? I think yes. Bring him back for that movie, and then give him three more movies. Okay, or two, two because he only does two Batman movies at a time. So I'm for that. Now here is the little twist. According again to this inside source, Michael Keaton says he will come back on one condition: if Tim Burton directs it. I thought you were going to say he wants nipples on his suit. <laughs> no. No, he'd have to go to the next level. Some other area of the body would have to be <laughs> accentuated in a nonsensical way. No, he wants Tim Burton to come back. What do you think about that? I'm okay with that. I like yeah. those movies. I thought he did a great job. Yeah, he did a good job with Batman. I think he's since had a, you know, he's been kind of uneven. He did a he did a good job of combining um, the campy feel of Batman and the serious feel. I think he did, he's one of the only people that could combine the two. Yeah. Because the the newer ones only have the dark part. Well, yes. And then the in-between ones, which, uh, you know, Joel Schumacher, rest in peace. We fortunately just lost Joel Schumacher, director of Lost Boys and some of the Batman films there. They were a little more campy. Yeah. And and the story is, because I was just reading about him when he passed away, that he was pushed to, by the studios, to make it more campy 
I think it was in an effort to sell more toys at McDonald's and, and Burger King, those sort of things. Because, you know, after Tim Burton's Batman's, they, they realized uh, there's a lot of money in that merchandise, as, uh, you know, Yogurt says in Spaceballs. So, um, yeah, I, I agree with you. Tim Burton would be great. Uh, and, yeah, provided he can keep it, in, I guess, in that vein or the, the vibe he had in the first couple films, and yeah, it would be good. Okay, speaking of old things becoming new again, finally, the Karate Kids uh, TV spinoff series continuation, Cobra Kai, has a new home on Netflix. It had been rumored that Cobra Kai Season 3, which we're anxiously awaiting, hasn't been released yet. We don't even have a date for it yet, even though it wrapped many, many months ago. We talked about this, I think it was last year because they were trying to get it, find it a new home. Um, and part of the reason they wanted to find it a new home, so the story goes, is that YouTube, which is the, the home of Cobra Kai right now, did not green, uh, green light a fourth season. So they wanted to find a company that would not only stand behind them on the third season, but also on the fourth season. And finally, it seems like those rumors are true because Netflix is the, is the new home for these. So sometime in the fall, we're going to get seasons one and two on Netflix and it seems like, I hope this isn't true, they're not going to release season three until after that. So, which means we might not see Cobra Kai till the end of the year. That's okay. That show's good. I'll wait for it. Yeah. Yeah, I like that one a lot. So if it takes another year, I don't care. I'll wait. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree. And uh, we're all, we're all going to be at the theater watching movies here in a couple of weeks anyway. So you're going to be watching them and I guess filming them on your phone so I can watch them after. Yeah, I can do that for you. Can you Facebook Live it? <laughs> Don't do that. No, they'll, they'll, they'll figure out where you are. And then I already told you. Yeah. I already told you we should have yeah. done Bill and Ted Live on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Just go into the theater with our phones and just do it. Yeah. I remember I told you no then too. Yeah, you did. And you know what? I think that was pre pandemic even. So there you yeah, go. Yeah, it was. <laughs> you know, I just, as a coincidence, you know, as you know, Karate Kid 1 and 2 came out just about a week ago in their respective years. As a coincidence, I watched them with the family, including the kids, just around the same days without, you know, realizing it. I think it was a day before and then they came out. Still hold up. And then uh, my wife and I just started rewatching Cobra Kai, starting with episode, season one, episode one. And it's just, it's still so fantastic. So I Mm -hmm. encourage folks to watch all of those things. At the end of Karate Kid 2, my wife and I sat on the couch and sang uh, Peter Cetera's Glory of Love, which plays throughout the credits. Somehow all the words just come back to us. (laughs) <laughs> that made me think of or look forward to the fact that we're doing on this episode the best songs, right? Best songs, it's the best songs from the 80s films. Yes, the bestest 80s movie bestest songs. songs. Right, okay. So having said that, let's go do that, right? And get out of this 80s news thing. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> that was 80s news. Dun, 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 dun. As we just mentioned a little while ago, we're going today we're going to be talking about uh, soundtracks or songs from soundtracks or from films of the 1980s, the very best ones, because the 80s, as we're, we're finding out just anecdotally and during research, was a special decade, just like for so many aspects of pop culture, but also for these songs. Um, and, and just another reminder again, hey, Wednesday, look out for something from us on Facebook in particular to vote for us for a podcast of the or to nominate us to be considered for... <laughs> For, it's a long process to nominate us as a your favorite podcast. How about that? One or one of, right? No pressure, just one of uh, for a podcast uh, of the year award. All right, so soundtracks 
right? They've been along, they were around for long before the 80s. By my, you know, amateur research, uh, they've been around a lo- as long as uh, uh, Nazi loving or, or Nazi hating. <laughs> I, I knew I'd get you to look up as <laughs> soon as I said that. <laughs> Walt Disney. <laughs> Uh, an entrepreneur, so Nazi loving or Nazi hating, depending on uh, I guess who you ask and what part of history we're in. Uh, entrepreneur Walt Disney, um, you know, back in 1938 realized there was money to be made in addition to the films, but by creating soundtracks and selling soundtracks. So he did that first with uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. But they've been around, you know, probably for longer than that. But that's one of the most uh, uh, one of the biggest, biggest, earliest examples of a you know commercial success for that. And what I saw was, even though you've had other decades uh, with, um, you know, successful soundtracks, like, you know, Saturday Night Fever in the 70s comes to mind. Uh, A Star is Born, I think that was also in the 70s. It seems like, right, that the 1980s, there's something different, just like we, our whole premise of our show, and may have had more and better, just like the one hit wonders we talked about a while ago. Is that what you're, th- were you thinking that before you even looked anything up that the 80s? Yeah, because different? you have the M- the MTV tie-in to oh. the, the movies and videos, I think. I think that's what makes it so cool. Mm, yeah, right, right, right. Because it was right, like right. a free promo for the movie, right. but the movie was like a free promo, promo for the song. So it all worked out in the end. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I agree 100%. So, so I looked at a couple different charts that were most important. One was top soundtracks by decade. And sure enough, uh, although the 70s had three, and, and you know what, what What I thought was, when we're talking about songs from soundtracks or songs from films that are popular, I think we have to agree, we're going to toss out musicals, right? So like Grease shouldn't count. Yeah, Grease doesn't count. So you got your, uh, you know, so Grease in the 70s or Lion King in the 90s, that's a musical. They made those songs, you know, for the film, the characters sing them. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the more... Uh, you know, I don't want to say jukebox musical because that's used differently these days, but you guys know what we're talking about as we get into it. So the 70s had two, if you toss out Greece, um, that were on these top 100 um, albums of all time. Two of them were soundtracks. When you get to the 80s, though, we've got six. So six of the top 100 best-selling albums of the 1980s were soundtracks from films we love, uh, including Purple Rain, Dirty Dancing, Footloose, Big Chill. Flashdance, and Top Gun. And four of those were actually in the top 25. If you look at the decades since, it goes down. Uh, five in the 90s, three, and this again, tossing musicals out, three in the 2000s, only two in the 2010s. So yeah, what you're suspected and I suspected is, you know, bears out by these numbers. And I agree with you. It's probably because of that MTV phenomenon. Yeah, you could sit down and just wait for these videos to come on. Yeah. Like you could sit there and... uh when the going gets tough comes on, do you remember that video? It had uh, it had uh, the three main stars. It had uh, Michael Douglas, Danny DeVito, and uh, oh yeah, Kath- right. Kathleen Turner, all dressed in the white suits doing the background right. singing while pretending to do the background. And they had the cut-ins from the movie, the Jewel and Nile. Right, I had love that video. About that. Yeah, love that song. It's one of my favorite songs. And I think it goes sort of both ways, because I, I agree with you 100%. So we're talking about the early, the original MTV uh, generation, uh, where we got so much of our music from TV. And so they created these videos that supported these songs, but also a lot of the films were like extended music videos themselves. Like, uh, I think it was Hadley Freeman in her her book, uh, Life Moves Pretty Fast. 
argues that Top Gun is essentially a music video. Like there's not a whole lot of story and plot in there, but there's it's just one music sequence after another. Well, yeah, you got to fill the dead space when you're not writing a lot of dialogue. <laughs> yes. And I think along those lines, and I think we could do a whole other episode about this, and I would like to, is what seems to have been an art that was mastered in the 1980s that supports this these music videos is the montage, which <laughs> maybe that's maybe I'm saying the same thing. Maybe by saying you know Top Gun is a music video, but you know you could have I guess different than Top Gun is you know you could have Rocky Three or Rocky Four. They're good solid films, but you got a montage in there, Karate Kid montage you know in the middle of a great film you don't get that anymore no because that was a that was a typical 80s move was to take the best song from your soundtrack and have that montage right in the middle of the film where stuff's happening so it's a great move it worked great yeah and so the other uh, the other big chart i looked at was um the top 50 this is from billboard the top 50 movie songs of all time now this is again top fifty. Now the the uh, this chart was last updated in twenty fourteen, so it doesn't include a lot of the twenty ten. So we don't even have to consider that. But what would you guess had the most top t- top fifty uh, most songs on the top fifty movie songs of all time list? Which decade? Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm gonna say eighties. Yeah, of course it's crazy, <laughs> and it's I guess a lot like you know different than what we were just talking about with this when I looked at the top songs, right? I think that's what that one was. It's, it's not even close. The 60s had two on there. 70s had seven. The 80s had 25. 90s, 13, 2003. And then again, there's none in the 2010s, but, you know, maybe, but four years into the 2010s, there was still zero. So yeah, overwhelmingly the 80s. And it has to be what we're, we're talking about, right? It makes perfect sense. Yeah. So you got a favorite? Oof. If I got a favorite, man, that's a tough one to pick. I would probably say Going Gets Tough is probably my favorite movie soundtrack song. Is that right? Is I it because so. of the video? I, I just really like that song a lot. Hmm. It's got that happy, you know, hmm. good time feeling to it. Yep. But I think the the most iconic one, in my opinion, is Ghostbusters. Mm. Yes. Right. You know, for Jewel of the Nile, were you also a big fan of the film? I do like the film. I didn't like it as much as the first one, so I think that yeah. song saved the entire movie for me. Yeah. Yeah, and of course, Ghostbusters, right? Amazing, yes. Um, and, you know, you, you could hear the story about how Ray Parker came up with that song, like at the last minute, like under the gun. In the documentary, the films that made us, they talk about that. And then on the recent Josh Gad, uh, Reunited Apart, uh, Ray Parker's on it, and he talks about it again, that, you know, it was Ivan reached out to him, we need a song. And, he, you know, they sent a messenger to pick it up, and he hadn't written it yet. So he's... <laughs> But he was inspired by that commercial uh, that they have inside the film to make that uh, "Who are You Gonna Call?" much like those old, uh, you know, bug uh, bug exterminator commercials. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and of course, though, a side note: we've said this before, I think, sued by Huey Lewis for ripping off "I Want a New Drug." Yep, and they settled out of court. But um, yeah, what uh, what would be your favorite one? For me, I think it's "Power of Love." Yeah, that's a great song, and. Not only is it a great song, and we love Huey Lewis, the song itself evokes for me the feeling I had whenever I saw the movie. So this idea of adventure and romance, you know, it's... And I don't know which came first. If I had heard the song by itself, I would have liked it. 
but I don't think baked in would it, wouldn't wouldn't be all the feelings I saw or had rather when I saw the film. You know, when they played that song, I could tell you exactly what it kicks in. I've said this before, right? Jennifer writes on that note. <laughs> and I've got my one over here. Uh, you know, she writes the phone number to Marty, writes, I love you. He looks at it and he realizes he sees what she wrote. Boom. Huey Lewis kicks in. Yep. And of course, that's because Jennifer's the hero of the movie. I've, t- I've talked about that before, I think. So you can, you can find yeah. that somewhere. Um, but yeah, so, and I think like you, to your point about the MTV, then it's on the video, you know, it's on every time you see it, you, you get the feelings from the movie for me, the film, is it, you know, in the song. So I get it again, hear it on the radio. Oh, even today I could hear it. It just takes me back to being a kid, seeing that film for the first time. Yeah. There's a, a bunch of songs like that. Like Eye of the Tiger's another one. Mm-hmm. The second it comes on the radio, you start throwing punches in the air to that opening part. Dun, dun, dun. You're right. just... You're just throwing the punches because you're like, oh, this is the Rocky song right here. Yeah. It's not even the, it's not even the Survivor song. It's the Rocky right. song the second you hear it. You know, I, I saw, and maybe you knew this already, that, um, well, first Sylvester Stallone wanted Queen's Another One Bites the Dust for that montage. And uh, a Freddie Mercury said no. And so then they reached out to the Survivor guys and said, can you create a song? And they created that guitar riff at the beginning and the drums to match the punches in the montage. Yep. So yeah, I don't, I don't think I ever caught that until I read that. And now you're saying it, of course it makes, you want to punch something when you hear that <laughs> yeah. sound. Uh, we, we listen to the, the, the eighties throwback channel at work and every time yeah. it comes on, you'll see me walking down the aisles just throwing <laughs> air punches. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> Look out. <laughs> if you're working with Ray at his full-time yeah. job podcasting. That's right. Duck. Don't get close. Yeah. So if I said to you, who do you think of 1980s is the the man to go to to create a hit song for your film? You're right now you're writing a film in the 1980s or directing or producing. Who do you go to? There is only one person that I'm going to call and I'm yeah. going to beg them yeah. until they do it and that is Kenny Loggins. Right? So many songs. He uh, he is the king of 1980s soundtrack gigantic hits and not all of them were as big as you know caddyshack one see caddyshack two not as fantastic but yeah mm-hmm. you got your top gun whatever that one is danger zone and footloose yeah yeah fantastic now you know i did see this really odd thing so uh, i thought i was curious because we know that about kenny and it seems to me that he's one of these early examples starting with caddyshack in 1980 where they went to a guy and said write a song for the movie, here's what the movie's about. And Kenny Loggins tells a story, and I'm paraphrasing, he felt like he the song he wanted to be, um, he felt it was kind of like a screw you, you know, for it was from the perspective of Danny. And it was kind of like, screw you, you know, I don't need all your yeah. whatever nonsense. Um, and that's why we, you know, the bass is the way it is, and it's sort of bouncy and uh, edgy. Um, and then and then it ends up being the Gophers theme song. Yes, as, as the gopher dances to it. <laughs> Ray's dancing <laughs> like the gopher. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, it has metamorphosized or whatever. It's the gopher song now. It's not. I don't think I ever thought of it you as Danny's song until I read that quote from yeah. Kenny. Well, once again, you can't hear that song without doing the gopher dance. Yeah. And just thinking of the gopher. Yeah. <laughs> Looking at that top 50, again, it's top 50 movie songs of all time. What struck me was, even though we think of Kenny Loggins as this go-to man, and, and, and the song's... We can agree those songs are fantastic. You hear it, you're up, you're dancing, you're full of energy. He only had one song in the top 50, 
and and these top 50 songs, by the way, it's legit. You know, it's what they did was for all the 25 songs from the 1980s all peaked at number one. So if it didn't peak at number one, it's not on here. So that's the only one he had was number one was Footloose. Instead, or, or alternatively, Phil Collins has three songs on here, which is shocking to me. I would never think of Phil Collins for being on here. Can you name them? I'm going to say In the Air Tonight's probably one of them. Is that in a film? It has got to be I don't know, film. but it's, it's, it's got to be in a film. It's got to be in at least 10, 10 <laughs> at this point. It's not on my list, but that that's a that that's a fantastic. I don't think you're going to get these honestly, and that's part of the which I thought was bizarre. Yeah, I, I don't um, think I would, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's um okay. So it's separate lives. Oh, against all odds, and uh, two hearts. Uh, against all odds is uh, uh, I can think of the movie. I can't think of the movie now. Yeah, that's um uh, uh the um dang it. Yeah, see, obviously, it's not that great. So, well, <laughs> oh, against the odds is actually the film too. Oh, well, that would make sense. <laughs> yes, but hey, it, it's yeah. no glory of love, pal. No. <laughs> well, yeah, and to your point about that, you don't remember it. Another thing that was interesting to me is that even though you had a, you could have a number one hit song from a movie, you may not remember what movie it came from. So I've got a list here, and on here is separate lives. Uh, among those, but I'm going to name the mo- hmm. song. You see if you can tell me what movie it's from. Let's let's do it. I'm I'm feeling saucy about right. this one. All right. So Phil Collins. All right. Like I said, yeah. Phil Collins wrote a song, Two Hearts. I'm going to go heart beeps. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you're approaching this. <laughs> no, apparently that comes from a movie called Buster, where and I believe Phil Collins actually also stars in the film, and it's about a UK uh, bank robber, I believe. Huh. He plays Buster Edwards, a petty criminal from the East End of 1963 Chicago. Yeah, okay. So, all right, here's another one. This this one's a little bit easier. Maybe. Kiss by Prince. Is that from Purple Rain? No. Or is it from that silly one he did? Yes. Where he directed it? Yes. But do you remember uh, the name of it? I don't think I would remember if I didn't read it today. Something about a hat. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it's about a hat only because when you wear a hat, you're under your hat. Under Under the something moon. And under the cherry moon, right. Yeah. All right. Olivia Newton-John, the song is Magic. Magic. Is that that from Xanadu? Yes. Oh, right. That's awesome. Yes, Xanadu. Yeah, I got that one right. I'd ask you a follow-up question, but I think we could spend a whole other episode on figuring out what is Xanadu about? Aliens or angels? I don't know. Okay. I I just called to say I love you. Ooh, that's a good song. Yeah. But do you remember what movie it's featured in? I did not. I'm going to go with Better Off Dead. (laughs) No, it's it's from The Woman in Red. I don't think I ever saw that one. Yeah, that's in the, that's the, the uh, Gene Wilder film, right? I I don't know. I never saw With, that. Uh, one. It's the film of Gene Wilder and um, Kelly LeBrock. Um, it's not mm. a good movie. It, it's you know we yeah it's, it's not a good movie. I'll just go ahead and scratch that off the yeah, list. Then that I'm going to watch. I think Gene also directed it and wrote it. And, and it's curious because he wrote this movie about a man who cheats on his wife. I think he's having like the seven year itch kind of situation. And he meets this very attractive woman, Kelly LeBrock plays. What's bizarre to me is not only did he write it, 
but but Gilda Radner, who was his wife at the time, is in it. And if you're writing a film about wanting to cheat on your wife and you play that character and direct the movie, I mean, are you sending a signal? Is this like a passive aggressive? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe she helped write it. If you if you get my meaning, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's take the hint, Gene. Uh, these two songs came from the same movie. Separate Lives by Phil Collins and and Marilyn Hart. Say You, Say Me by Lionel Richie. Hmm. Right? I'm going to go nine and a half weeks. Oh, wow. No, it's not that. It's a movie that starred Mikhail Baryshnikov and I believe Gregory The Russian dictator? (laughs) The ballet dancer. (laughs) The film is... And and Gregory Hines? Yeah, you don't remember that one? It was a movie I saw as a young kid. I was bored to tears. I probably never saw it then. Yeah. It's uh, White Knights is the film. I, I think it's, uh, he's mm-hmm. a ballet dancer looking to defect. You know, everybody was defecting in films. Russians were defecting a lot in films in uh, the 80s. Well, that, that was the thing to do back then. Yeah. Nobody's coming here now. <laughs> no, not right now. <laughs> we're on lockdown. <laughs> yeah, so that's all I had there. But yeah, so the songs could be fantastic. And, you know, like we pointed out, none of these songs, I love Kiss. I love, you know, I just called to say it's a good one. Oh, I got a fantastic song from you for you from a movie I've never been able to make it 15 minutes into. Okay. St. Elmo's Fire. Ah. That yes. song is killer. Yes. But I cannot watch that movie. It's boring. I agree 100%. My wife likes it. It seems like more women, look, this is going to sound kind of sexist, but it's true anecdotally speaking. More women I've known have liked it versus men. I've never met a man that was like, I love St. Elmo's Fire. Women? like it maybe it's because there's a lot of cute brat pack guys in it yeah but yeah i think to me Moore's in it you know she's attractive I, that's not enough to keep my interest in the, in the movie so the scene almost fired do you remember so so against all odds in parentheses is take a look at me now okay so that's the phil collins song yep scene almost fire in parentheses is something else do you remember that one yeah i do what is it it's the man in motion do you know why i do know why because he wrote it about uh, some guy in a wheelchair, I right. think in the Olympics or something. Right, Rick Hansen. Or, right. Yeah. Right, a paralyzed athlete, Rick Hansen. So some of the songs we love from films from 1980s that were featured in films from 1980s were actually not written for those films. But they smushed them in there. <laughs> yes, which St. Almost Fire in particular, knowing that John Parr and David Foster wrote that about the, uh, Rick Hansen, he was he was circling the world in a wheelchair that and that tour was called the Man in Motion Tour. Now it's starting to make sense why they sang about seeing the man in motion. But he they crowbar in something <laughs> about St. Elmo's fire. And you're like, wait a second, where'd that come from? Uh, it would be amazing if we could find out what the original words were to that mm, song. Instead of that St. Elmo's instead fire. Of the, yeah, instead of the jamming of the St. Elmo's fire in there. Mm. I wonder what it was. Yeah. Couldn't it have been about something about him in the wheelchair and fire? No, probably not. Hmm. Well, we, maybe, I don't know. Maybe we could do some digging. Put here. put put John Parr on the list of All people right, we got to call. Yeah. John Parr. Even if we can only get <laughs> one question, we in. have one question. Ah. So of course, this, you know, uh, I don't know that their version uh, for the Man in Motion tour was lighting up the world, but uh, it's the single from the, as featured in the Brat Pack film spent two weeks at number one. And same thing for the Against All, All Odds song. They went to Phil Collins and said, can you write a song for this movie? And so he just looked through songs he had never finished. and <laughs> Just smushed it in there. And the one was, take a look at me now. And he's like, yeah, you could do this one. You know, and I and guess there. he added on those words, Against All Odds. 
here's another thing I thought was interesting about some of these songs that we love. And maybe is this boring? If this is boring, we won't talk about it. But no, I think this is it's interesting. Uh, to I me. think it's I think it's interesting because okay, cool. these songs are all really good. I've, so. got, I've got another question for you here, except for the ones that weren't. <laughs> <laughs> so the other thing that's interesting about these films is some you know the the song the singers are so closely associated with them. And most often that they actually write the songs and are musicians, I guess all the times they're musicians in their own right with their own, own success and hits that we just think, believe that they wrote the song and that's not always true. So I've got four songs Ooh. for you. I'm going to give you only one of them was written by the band or person that sings it. Okay. Okay. Danger zone. Kenny Loggins. Nothing's going to stop us. Um, from uh, Jefferson Starship, or they were just that's, yeah, that's Starship, just Starship then, right? Uh, Don't you forget about me, which was uh, Simple Minds, or uh, Survivor Eye of the Tiger. One of the, only one of those was written by the guys who sang it. Oof, that's tough, right? Because I know Survivor writes, and I know Loggins writes, mm-hmm. like the majority of what they do. But Simple Minds, I'm going I'm to go Simple Minds. Simple Minds, don't you forget about me. That was not written by the Simple Minds guys. Wow. Yeah, in fact, um, that song was written by uh, Keith Forsey and Steve Schiff. And then, and they wrote it for the, for the film. And then they went around approaching different groups to perform it. They approached Billy Idol, Brian Ferry. Uh, they approached uh, the Fix's uh, Cy, I don't want to say Cy, Cy Cumin? Cumin like the Spice? And they approached Simple Minds because they had written it for Simple Minds. And Simple Minds said, no, we only perform Simple Minds songs. We don't perform songs by people who make songs that are supposed to sound like Simple Minds. <laughs> and then A&M, it was their you know, record company at the time, kept pressuring them to do it. Finally, the story goes, they did it thinking, no one's ever going to hear this thing. The movie's going to be a bomb. And the rest is history. It's the biggest song they've ever made, right? I'm sure of it. And they're probably bitter because they didn't write it now. <laughs> Although they're probably still getting a big old paycheck from just performing it and recording it. Yeah. You want to guess again? So you've got Danger Zone, Nothing's Gonna Stop Us, or Eye of the Tiger. Who actually wrote their song? The other ones were someone else wrote them. I'm going to go Survivor. Right, yeah. Survivor wrote Eye of the Tiger, right. Um, yeah, so when I told that story earlier about Sly approaching Survivor, they actually wrote it. What I thought was curious was that mostly, uh, most curious to me, was that Kenny Loggins didn't write Danger Zone. Isn't that shocking? That that does surprise me a lot. Um, some of these were uh, collaborative efforts, and I think I want to say Danger Zone. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah, Danger Zone was actually written by, and this is another interesting thing to me, by a, an Italian composer who is some folks refer to as the, uh, I think, Disco King or Disco Godfather because he was cranking out uh, disco tunes in the, in the 1970s and hits for a lot of folks like uh, Donna Summer. Uh, Giorgio Moroder, I'm probably pronouncing one of those wrong, or both. <laughs> but in, in 1986, Moroder collaborated with Harold Faltmeyer, who was a protege of, of Moroder's, who also went on to write great songs for films, and he collaborated with uh, Harold and lyricist Tom Whitlock to create the songs for Top Gun, which included Danger Zone, and he also wrote Berlin's Take My Breath Away. That's pretty darn good. Yeah. That's, that's some creative genius right there. So we have folks, you know, chiming in on the Facebook page of what songs they love for movies, and both of those are on there, and they were written by this other guy. But, you know, of course, the performer gets all the credit. 
this guy who we've never heard of till just now, I'm guessing, because I had him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not only that, but he also wrote uh, the song Flashdance. Ah, oh, what a feeling. What a feeling. He also co-wrote with uh, Lamal from Kajagugu, who performed it, The Never-Ending Story. Wow. And he performed another song from a film, which which was performed by Kenny Loggins. It's a film that didn't do as well as Top Gun or any other Kenny Loggins uh, associated films, but it's his song. It's its film you love. That I love? Yeah. I guess you're not. You'd have to strain your mind for Kenny Loggins film songs. It's not Caddyshack 1 or 2. It's not Top Gun. It's not Footloose. I didn't name it earlier. Stars Sylvester Stallone. And it's an 80s movie? Yep. Oh, 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 I see the subtle clue you're throwing me. It's over the top. I was just adjusting my hat, my cap that uh-huh. I wear. Yeah. I had to get really into serious podcasting mode now. Yeah, over I, the top. I forgot it. I forgot he was in that. He wrote Meet Me Halfway, which Kenny Loggins yeah. also performed. I had no idea this guy existed, and he created a number of the hit songs that we love from these films. Well, those guys back in the day didn't want you to know they existed. Yeah. Because it, it would affect their, their profit line. Because they wanted you to think Donna Summers was writing those songs and I see. these guys were writing those songs. Because their paycheck, one, you're super rich. Yep. Two, nobody knows who you are. Hmm. So you can still go to the grocery store and get your own groceries hmm. and pay cash for a car when you walk onto the lot. But nobody knows who you are. That's the life right there. Yeah. Do you do you remember the movie Dream a Little Dream? Yeah, that's uh, Corey's, the Corey's film. Yeah, that's terrible the Corey's film. too. And uh, Tim Buck Three's song, uh, Future So Bright, I Gotta Wear Shades, was in that. Right. Do you know what the actual story behind that song is? I don't. I remember it was in a TV show, too. It was that Howard Hessman show where he was a teacher. Yeah, head of the class. Head of the class, yeah. No, I don't know the story for that. Uh, Most people think it's about um, how they're going to be big stars. And so everything, you know, it's such a bright future. Uh I've got to guess now. You you know what it's going to be, don't you? So. My worst nightmare in the 80s. Take take a guess. Nuclear Holocaust. It's Nuclear Holocaust. <laughs> That's what that song's actually <laughs> about. You know what's funny? is I was at um, my daughter's graduation earlier today. The valedictorian, <laughs> who's, you know, all of 18 years old, does a speech. He starts off, he says, we've often heard the pun. The future is so bright, we've got to wear shades. And I thought, <laughs> you've probably never heard the song. You've probably... Uh, you know, whatever. But yeah, now knowing that at least the song was associated with nuclear holocaust, I think the kid was using it wrong. <laughs> I think everyone uses it yeah. wrong. And then I think, uh, what else did we miss here? Uh, Axel F, obviously. Love it. Um, uh, Holiday Road. Yes. Lindsay Buckingham. That's iconic for me because every time I hear it, it just takes me back to vacation. My My wife and I, Whenever we go on a trip with the kids, even if we're driving to the airport, we play that song. So if it's a road trip, that's the first song. But for years, Lindsey Buckingham, it's not on the soundtrack. The version from the film is not on the soundtrack, I think, because it wasn't available for digital till just about two or three years ago. There was a live version he had out there. I think mm-hmm. so. And that reminds me, actually, I was trying to do a list of films that we love or songs from films we love that aren't on soundtracks. And I was surprised to find, I couldn't find any list like this, by the way. But after watching Karate Kid last week, I went to download uh, but, but the, out the soundtrack to get all the awesome songs. And Bananarama, Cruel Summer is not on there. 
you can get it and I have it, but it's not in the, yeah. and it turns out Bananarama didn't give them the okay to do it. They didn't want them to have it on the soundtrack. Another great hmm. move. Well, it worked yeah, out that fine. Was a, fine. It worked out fine, but still, yeah. that's dumb. But then uh, you got Dirty Dancing, which has uh, Time of My Life and Hungry Eyes, oh. which are two iconic songs from that movie. That uh, Even if you're a dude, that movie's good. It's got Patrick Swayze. That's a good movie. Mm-hmm. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> um, let me see here. Uh, Goonies Are Good Enough, Cindy Lauper. Yes, that was also a That's video a- I enjoyed because it had the clips uh- from the film and the kids were in it. And um, I don't know anyone who doesn't know the Oh Yeah song by Yellow from <laughs> Ferris Bueller. I mean, I mean, how often do you find yourself doing I do it when I check my mic before we go on air. <laughs> before we, I do. Every time I go. <laughs> Every time. I was torturing my family with it like two days ago. I was going. And my youngest daughter was like. <laughs> Stop, please. <laughs> just stop, Dad. Just stop. I was then, surprised uh, about that yellow song. Well, a couple of things. Maybe we talked about this once before. First of all, the guy who wrote that song is up like a billionaire now because he invested, yeah. he's like an investment banker or something. But I was surprised to learn that it's only actually in two films. I would have guessed it was in like <laughs> seven or eight films. I think it was in it, clips on TV shows and commercials and stuff, but only two films. It really only needed to be in Ferris. It's so iconic. Yeah, yeah and it was also in Secret of My Success, but yeah. Yeah. And then uh, Old Time Rock and Roll, Risky oh, Business. of course. Anytime you're sliding around in your underwear. <laughs> yes, whenever I change You think of that song. <laughs> yep. And uh, Fight the Power. Whenever I'm, trying the right to, thing. whenever I'm trying to start a brothel in my house while my family is yeah. out. Yeah, whenever you're trying to do a work-from-home situation. <laughs> yes. But uh, yeah, you got Fight the Power, uh, Do the Right Very Thing. Very good song. That's a yeah. great song from a great movie. And then uh, I'm going to end with the one that makes me laugh every time I hear it. David Bowie, mm-hmm. Magic Dance, ah, Labyrinth. Of course. Because every time I sing it, <laughs> I sing Pants, Magic Pants. <laughs> <laughs> like, how is that a thing? And how is it that David Bowie is involved in that? It's, it's just mind-blowing. But yes. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Me and my kids sing that in the car, <laughs> and we sing "Pants Magic Pants," and we just both <laughs> laugh hysterically. I can see that. There's but so many good there's ones. Just too many. Yeah. I mean, there's there's at least those 25 that made it. You know, that were number one hits, and then tons. And then there were others that didn't weren't necessarily number one, like the, the many Kenny Loggins songs that were still yeah amazing. Or like uh, the Flash Gordon soundtrack, yes. which Queen did the entire thing. Or I think yeah and yeah see, yeah and, you know, Queen did that Queen did Highlander yeah it's another good one but I guess and there is a song out of the Highlander it's like the Highlander theme that Queen did that's pretty good um that you probably heard on the radio the Flash you couldn't hear any of the songs for Flash on the radio because they were even the Flash theme is kind of you know uh, the way it's composed it's you know you can't it's not like a radio play song but it's loving. So, yeah, I think that, that wraps up everything I know about soundtracks. Yeah. At least from big-time artists, anyways. Yeah. All right. Well, cool. That's enough, I guess. Look, there's plenty of songs. We probably didn't mention the song you love. It doesn't mean that it's not great. Uh, we focused on some of the more quirky things. We we have we all have our songs that we love. Uh, and, and folks shared a number of those on Facebook. And maybe we'll do this again. I'm sure there's another angle we can take at it that we just didn't have time for today. Oh, I'm sure. 
But we have proven what beyond a shadow of a doubt. Uh, okay, that the movies of the eighties yeah. had the best soundtracks of any decade. Objectively, one hundred percent. And uh, nothing's going to stop us now, Ray. And I meant to tell you, also, you are the wind beneath my wings. And <laughs> I just called to say I love you uh, against all odds. Don't you forget about me. Kiss, maniac. <laughs> all right. <laughs> right man. <laughs> we'll talk to you next time on The Idiots. See ya. See ya.